Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. With me today, I have somebody who I thought was pretty ex- inspiring and kind of exceptional. I read uh, about him and decided this is a guy I want to have on the podcast. Most of you know that I've got a martial arts background along with a psych background. And, you know, some of you who know me have said, wow, you're kind of badass. And it's like, I read Mark's bio and I'm like, not even close. Mark uh, is Australian. He's got a special tie to the land, but he's also, um, he's been in special forces. He's uh, the equivalent in Australia. He's the equivalent to like the U.S. Rangers. Um, jumped out of airplanes, uh, did a did some time in Iraq. Uh, I'm going to let him tell you all about that. These days, he's doing leadership development. And with that background and everything that he brings, I thought it'd be a great, a great story to bring here to One Sharp Sword. So without saying much more, Mark Ashby, welcome to One Sharp Sword. Thanks for being here. Uh, well, thanks, Juan. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you. So let's uh, let's talk about, you didn't just uh, one day as a little boy go, hey, I think I want to, I mean, a lot of kids do. I want to be a ranger. You know, I want to, I want to jump out of airplanes. I want to, you know, uh, like, where did that come from? Because at some point, the fantasy becomes the reality. But where did it all start for you? Let's wind back the clock a lot and and talk about like, how'd you get your start? Yeah, look, I, I come from a... Uh... A different background to what you'd think for the for the military, I suppose. I I, I grew up at the beach. I, I grew up in uh, Sydney. Um, literally, I could ride my push bike to the beach. I grew up surfing. Probably started surfing with my father when I was um, oh around about five years of age. I was doing surfing competitions by the time I was around about probably ten, um, which I was heavily involved in. I was, I was sponsored the whole deal. I was surfing with my mates before school, after school, every weekend, up and down the whole east coast of Australia. Like I said, doing surfing contests right up until probably into my sort of, um, I suppose, mid-20s. And um, I was actually an electrician by trade back in the day. That was my, my my trade, which I, it was okay, but I didn't really love it. And But I'd always had a, a bit of a fascination with the, with the military, especially the army and, and the specialist units in the army. And it was a bit of a quiet, bit of a quiet obsession there that no one really knew about. And then uh, my father had a bit of a conversation with me one day because I was overseas surfing and not really going anywhere with it, to be honest. Uh, never going to be probably good enough to be one of the, the top guys. So my father had that little gentle conversation with me. What are you doing with your, with your life? And I told him, I said, look, I've, I've always had this fascination with, with the military, with the army, and I'm and I'm going to give it a crack. I'm going to train up and I'm, I'm going to give it a go, um, which I think he probably thought and most of my family and all my friends probably thought it was quite insane because most from my background there just didn't go to the military. It was quite rare. So uh, off I went and, and, and joined up and uh, and got in, and then I managed to uh, do quite well on my initial intake, which gave me a uh, a springboard straight into one of the specialist units. So I was able to go and try out for one of our our airborne units um, and, and get into that unit on the first the first attempt. 
And that's where I ended up doing my career, a couple of tours of um, East Timor, operational tours, which I absolutely loved. And then I was um, given the opportunity uh, years later when the whole Middle East thing took off, um, of course, after the tragic events of 9-11 and that changed all of our all of our lives. And um, it was when the Iraq war started. I got the chance to go over there as a private contractor. And initially my 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 original plan was to go over there maybe for a year, um, year or two at the absolute most, and come back into in, back into the Australian Army because we all thought it would peter out after a couple of years. And uh, 11 years later, um, you know, 1,600 missions, I think, we completed over there in total, um, which was – and if you, you want to put it sort of into sort of contents, it was if you combine World War One and World War Two, we did more time in Iraq combined than those those two wars together. So it was a history-defining uh, event. Um, I was very lucky over there. I got to work alongside and for some um, amazing people. Um, I was heavily attached to the US military over there, uh, a couple of times attached to the, to the 10th Group Green Berets over there in a couple of very dangerous locations, which is an absolute joy. Uh, I even did a bit of time at the US Embassy over there. I was there for about two years and doing a little bit of advising over the State Department as well, and which I had an absolute ball doing. I think one of very few Australians with a State Department uh, clearance ID. Um, and, you know, I think it's all about the opportunities you get in life and it's about making the most of them and not and not sort of, you know, really stuffing those opportunities up if you want to, you know, be pretty candid about it. And um, just had a ball, ended up doing my, my last four years at, at the Australian Embassy, um, looking after our ambassador there. Um, and, and look, it's it's there's so much that went on into that process over there and, and, and on operations and what we did and, you only ever hear about, I suppose, the negative things. You don't really hear about the positive things we did over there. And we did a lot of Im- amazing things, uh, a lot of incredible work, you know, which, which I'm really proud of to this day. I was going to ask you what you're most proud of. Oh, without a doubt, the biggest thing I was proud of was was getting all of my um, all of my guys home um, safely, 100%. Is, that's the pressure as a team leader over there. You've got those, those souls underneath you every day, every mission. And yeah. Of course, you're, you've got your clients. I've looked after a lot of high-end US clients generally sort of major, major sort of upwards, uh, normally up that sort of kernel rank, but sometimes even higher up into that general sphere and and looking after them as well with a big responsibility of, of those people. We even had a few US civilian engineers that we looked after during the reconstruction of Iraq. Um, so they weren't military orientated. They weren't like us. So you know, I had a couple of elderly ladies over there that I looked after, uh, US engineers, and we had one lady in general, she was, I think she was about 70 years of age, still over there as an engineer working in Iraq in, in you know, 2007 and eight when it was so dangerous and unbelievable, you know, like dead set. You know, most people would honestly probably last a week in that environment and, and go home crying. And she was incredible. And and just to learn off different leaders over there, I looked after a, a US general over there for a while, a two-star general. And um, I won't say his name, but he was a, an amazing man. I learned so much of him about professionalism and combining that with sort of empathy and, and responsibility and just what I saw how he operated and how he was with his people and how they admired him and always cool under pressure. And I took so many little lessons away from that. And um, yeah, so I ended up coming home in end of 2015, back to Australia after many years away. And it was, yeah, it's, it's a it's, it's a real odd existence because you're not really living in reality. You know, you're away from your family and friends and just away from life. Um, so, but it was it was really nice to come home and 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 spend some really quality time with my family and 
And that just started my journey. You know, I went back into a university at 48 and did my my master's degree, which was pretty terrifying. <laughs> I think it was more terrifying than being in the Middle East. Um, but I had the best experience and I absolutely loved it. And then that sort of uh, more, all morphed into starting my own my own sort of leadership and crisis awareness and sort of culture, um, sort of consulting business, which I, which I love. What was your master's in? It's in counterterrorism. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I that's, I, I, that's just a you know a degree that anybody can get in counterterrorism. Yeah, it's like that's yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so I, I absolutely loved that, and I sort of tried to major in other major in sort of cybersecurity and um, uh, sort of intelligence and geopolitics as well on that. So I really tried to sort of broaden that the whole um, experience there. It was a great time. Didn't you feel like you could almost teach that by the time you you got that degree? Yeah, funny you say that. I was actually doing a bit of guest lecturing in my own master's degree, so that was quite funny. Um, I, the biggest hurdle for me was relearning all the new, you know, techniques at university. You know, the, the new templates and everything's online now. Your your libraries are online now. So I didn't right. have one one book in my entire time there, and that was my my hardest hurdle. So once that first semester was out of the way and I got the hang of it again um, at forty eight. Um, then I was fine, and and of course all all the the knowledge of what you've acquired over the, over those years, you can't I suppose learn that you know reading a book you've got to learn that on the ground, yes. and that's where I think I had that big edge there. But I you have to be careful too because you don't want to overstep the mark with with the lecturers there. You've, they've got to do their job. So I, I learned very quickly to sort of sit back and and and, and zip zip my mouth and and just you know and just listen and in, in, you know, sort of interject or you know have an opinion when I was asked. That's how I sort of wrote my experience there. They, they got to know me quite well. And and then when, when they were sort of maybe stumped on a on a point, I'd be brought in to sort of maybe clarify things and give my own opinion. So it was it was an amazing experience. I absolutely loved it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh so you've you started your own biz doing leadership, doing leadership development, doing like how is it that you do your business? There are different types of of leadership coaches do you go into companies or do you work one-to-one how, how do you do your thing and what do you think your uh biggest messages are yeah i do both um i i'm more than happy to go into a company uh do one-on-one uh, i love working with their leaders themselves you know from that sort of board level that c-suite level and up to the ceos because um, we all we all have our issues it doesn't matter who you are and i've worked with our I've worked with a couple of our country's leaders, and um, I've even done a little bit of time with one of your your um, ex ex leaders. And uh, we've all got our issues. Doesn't matter who you are at that level, and it, it's quite interesting. And it was a real eye opener for me. Um, and I, I love going into an organisation as well if they've got problems with their teams, maybe with their staff. How I can how I can work out what's going on there, and use all those years of experience what I learnt. Like I said, working under working under that extreme pressure, um, trying to remain calm. You know, because we all have those moments in, in in the workplace and really understanding um wh- where they're coming from you know i find with a lot of leaders as well a lot of them have have um you know maybe issues in their personal life and that sort of comes to the surface and it comes to the surface in the business and it's once you can really understand where they're at where their minds at you can really then help them out to really rediscover who they are in themselves you know because i think a lot of great leaders i've found the ones with issues anyway they really forget all about where they've come from. They forget what they are in the actual organisation. They're they're so high up in the sphere. They've been there for so many years doing it. They really forget where they've come from. And it's about re-reminding them, you know, find out the bit of passion again for, for what they do. So they go to work on a Monday morning and, and love 
their job again as opposed to going to work Monday and just thinking about Friday afternoon, which is what you don't want. <laughs> right. You. It sounds like you inject a bit of humanity back into them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was taught overseas by, by that, that general I got to work with quite a lot. He was like that. He was very, very big on just loving what you do every day and having that real inspiration um, and, and not he really taught me that not forgetting where you come from. You know, he 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 would speak to his private soldiers the exact same way as has his his own peers, and I thought that was really amazing. He'd just come around and have a have a cup of coffee with me in my in my accommodation in Iraq, and for a, a two star general to do that, it's quite rare. Um, but he was so uh, you know inspiring and, and just loved by his soldiers, and that's why I thought, well, that's a person I want to be like. And I, I put a lot of those lessons and took a lot of those lessons into my own business. Um, and if I can, you know, if I can really have, have, if I can really make a difference in someone's life with the experience that I've had, that's that, you know, to me, that's been a good day out. And that's my own message. That's so great. Um, that's, it's amazing. So talk a little bit about some of the lessons that you teach. You know, that's partly it's, rehumanizing and as a as a leader remember who you are and just be more human which in many ways means being more bringing more empathy like seek to understand the other person yeah. uh, what are some of the other things that you that you find as core lessons when you go from person yeah. to person or company to company I, I try and really help them especially at that senior level to um to, to remove uh the emotion process out of out of big decision making. So when they're making big decisions in the business, there to try and really um, re- remove emotion, um, and you know basically to help them become a more effective leader. You can have examples where I had a great example in an organisation where they, they had a senior, um, was a, a CFO that, that that left the the firm in, in not a good fashion, and he wasn't a popular individual there. And when I spoke to a couple of the, the other leaders there, uh, other board members and senior managers. I was like, "What's what's your um, attitude towards this this fellow leaving?" And they were like, "Oh, it's so great. He's left. It's outstanding. It's the best thing ever." And I said, "So what? What? But what's the that's the positives? What what are they now? The negatives? What are the negative consequences with him leaving that organisation?" And they were a bit stumped. And I said, "Well, you've got a a guy here who's been here for like fifteen years. So there's going to be a huge vacuum." And he was in charge of a, a lot of processes there with with tenders and. And, and contracts and acquisitions. And I said, so it's going to be a huge hole there because he took all his contacts with him. And I said, and also, who's who's coming back in to fill that void? Who's going to replace him? Um, is that person going to be worse? And that's what I sort of say. Don't base your process to replace him on on emotion and, and maybe, you know, you really want to try and get the right person in there to actually, um, you know, re- replace that, that, uh, that, you know, that human being and that organisation, you know, to get the best out of your own business. And that's what I try and really... Make them understand in, in the Middle East, every single operation we went on, we looked at the positives and the negatives of every single mission. We, we removed it and we, and we come up with the best decision um, because we we couldn't afford to get our decisions wrong. You know, if we got a if we made a, a mistake over there, maybe somebody lost their life, and we couldn't just go to work Monday morning, have a have a team leaders meeting, um, and and just think, oh, how do we do it better next time? For us, it was a huge consequence if we got it wrong. So that's some of the the messages that I really teach them. And it's it's also just about, like I said again, you know, remaining calm in those in those environments because being stressed out is not going to change the decision, you know. And it's 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 super important. Um, I go into a lot of those core 
things that we used overseas as well, a lot of those lessons learned, like like individual brilliance and things like this, you know, really getting the best out of your people, understanding what they're good at and really rewarding those people. You know, having sometimes you'll find in organisations they're so quick to, to hire somebody from the outside, but mm. maybe they've got some brilliant people that are actually in, inside that arena staring them in the face and they don't understand who they've actually got in front of them. And I'll sometimes dive into that and I'll, I'll have I'll have one-on-one meetings with a lot of the staff there, and it's it's amazing some of the, the people they've got there that are maybe doing a role they're not even exactly suited to, but they've got this incredible skills and and you know abilities somewhere else that, that you know that often gets overlooked. So it's a it's a yeah, it's an amazing arena, and I, I really love it actually. To be honest, I love that. I love I love the the message of find the talent that's already in front of you. Um, it's so often <laughs> I look at organizations and when, when I come in, it's, it's very often I'll do interviews with some of the team members and, and be able to bring that as a, a kind of a several talking points back to leadership. And very often what I'll hear is, yeah, we, we aren't valued. Like n- nobody knows the talent we have. Like mm-hmm. nobody taps us for what, who we are, what we can do. And it, it's very personal at that point, and it is very emotional. And so to take the emotion of the team members and sort of to uh, to make it, it's a balance to keep it emotional because it matters and unemotional because it matters, right? It's like, it's this yeah. balance, right? It matters either way. It matters so that a logical decision can be made. It matters because the connection from leader to team member is not just one of directive, but one of true connection is an emotional connection. Yeah, that's that's, that's such a great point. And you have to have that that communication. But not everybody's born to be a great leader and not every leader is born to be a great manager. And you've got to find out where where your expertise lies. And I think you made a great point there where you said, you you, you talk to those team members and I'm exactly the same. I love being that team in that environment. And I find that you get the more and more trust of them, the, the further you develop that relationship, and then you get a light bulb moment goes off mm. where you've actually got you've actually got their trust. Then they start to speak. And, you know, at first they're always a little bit quiet, a bit standoffish, wondering if you're a bit of a, a spy in that organisation. But once they once they understand you're you're actually there to help them, then the conversations start, and then it's almost like the floodgates open. Then, um, and you really understand what's going on there. And sometimes. I find the bigger the organization, of course, the disconnect is just it's just bigger and bigger. And and it it's like it's it's like it's two all these different little in, environments in its own sort of you know sphere there, its own world. And a lot of them they just don't communicate, they don't talk at all. And and um you might have the 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 you know the leaders from above and there's like you know there's a disconnect from beneath, but it's like, yeah, but you've got to you've got to bring those people in, you've got to give them an opportunity to actually shine on your business, because without them. Well, what do you have? You don't have a business, you know. Like if, you know, <laughs> exactly. they they are they are the, the the cogs on the wheel. You may right. you may organize, you may run that big wheel, but they're the cogs that keep it going, and you it's lose the infrastructure, right? <laughs> you could you could be the king, but if you've got no land and nobody, you know, running the land, it's it's like you're the king of nothing. So yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah. It's very interesting, Mark, because um, you would think that this is common sense you know, for leaders, please just make a connection with your team members, get to know them a little bit. And um, one of of my mentors from years and years ago 
was fond of saying common sense isn't always common practice. And, <laughs> and sometimes it takes a consultant to come in and go, oh, just here's the bridge you need to build. So um, start here, have this communication, go find out about this person or this, this group. Uh, because what you said was when you talk with them, the more you talk with them, the more you, that you're likely to gain trust. And once you gain that trust, the floodgates open. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 it's, it's, inc- it's incredible to watch as well. And I, I, I love when you get a really great result somewhere, um, you know, and they really, you know, really identify, you know, after you've been there for a while, what what the issue is, and yeah, you know, and the whole point is, like I said, you want your and I say this to them. You want your workers to come to to your organisation, you know, but they may not love what they do, but at least have them liking what they do. At least have them, and you know, and they want to then stick around. They don't want to leave. They're not looking at other options all the time. They're actually saying, "This is where I want to be. I want to stay in this job for ten years, fifteen years." And and they're the people you want. They're your core, your core workers to stay there. And and you know, in this day and age, especially the young kids now, they're so they're so happy to just move on very quickly. They're not like us back in the day, Wayne, when we were young and. You want to hold on to your job no matter what, you know. Now, now they leave in teams. They get together. Right. They all talk about it, and they leave in sometimes four and five. I've been seen as big as ten leaving in one hit. They all get together. They'll go to a rival organization together, and it's like, wow, that's just massive. Yeah, you know, you can, or start you know, their own. Yeah, right? which or is start their which own. Is also good. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like it's it's okay, um, but the obviously the goal is is to get engagement and. It's not just for for me when I look at it. It's not just can they like what they do, but more can they believe in what they do, mm. right? It's it's purpose driven. It's about you know can I wake up in the morning and know that I'm going to make a difference today. I'm going to make a difference in um, you know even if I'm creating a very specific form or a very small widget or whatever this thing that I'm creating makes a difference to somebody out there. And the question is, who? And it's up to the leaders then to create that bridge and go, look, the work you're doing, it's disconnected. You can't see the end user, but you know what? That end user is this type of person and they are counting on you. And it's like, that's the, from from where I sit with perspective of kind of the way the organizations that I've worked with work, that's the that's the bridge that needs to be built. Yeah, and, and you, you you hit that great point about purpose. Now that's all we all want in our lives is to have some sort of purpose. Um, right. and, and you know, and I, and I overseas was like that. We had this purpose over there every day on, on mission, and to stay to stay motivated in the same role every day over there on mission for like eleven years. You know, you've yeah. got to you've got to have everything in order. It just doesn't work. You know, because you've got to have those your, your operators up and ready to go, whether you're doing a day mission or night missions, and they've got to be 100% focused and, and actually enjoying what they're doing. And we all loved what we did. We had this incredible teams and we all loved, you know, that role. And even though it was super dangerous and we all went through heartache over there, you know, time and time again, you know, we lost a lot of good people overseas. Um, it was funny though, but we all loved what we did and we had this, we, we saw the big picture of what we were doing. And um, it was yeah, you know, we, we all understood we were part of something over there and part of history. And I said this to say this to the boys over there: really embrace this and, and then soak this up because this is a one-off for us. This is it. This is the the apex of what you will do in this operational, you know, tactical combat sort of role. And um, I said it will never get better than this for us, honestly. 
Um, and, and you know, so I said, really enjoy it while, while you've got it. And it was, uh, yeah. yeah were you stuff. were you a bit of an adrenaline junkie? Oh, look, I've always been somebody, I suppose, that doesn't really have uh, many many fears. The only fear I really have, I, I don't like um like confined spaces, like inside. Maybe you get me inside an uh, like an elevator at a shopping center. I don't really like elevators and a lot of people inside them. Um, but if you want me to jump out of a plane, you know, at, at ten thousand, you know, at night time out into the clouds, I'm more than happy to do that. I, I love it, and uh, you know, I just I just don't really have that fear. And even even in the job overseas, even in Iraq, how dangerous it was when the war was on, you soon get to a point where you really learn about the role. You learn about your own capabilities, your capabilities of your people around you, and you almost get to a stage where you start feeling a little bit invincible without being cocky and arrogant about it. But you've got to feel. You've got to believe that you're better. You've got to believe that it's like going. It's like being, I imagine, part of a, a really elite, um, like a football team, you know, like an NFL team or the NBA or anything it is. And they go and they're believing they can win every single match. Yeah. And you've got. We had that same arena overseas. That same feeling. You're around these elite operators from all different walks of life, all coming together, and we all felt that we were better. And that, and then, and that's, and that's how we got through it. And how we survived. It's funny because a lot of the the uh, pro. Uh, teams out there will liken themselves to the military and you're going well we have to believe sort of like you know we're we're pro ball players it's like this that's yeah awesome. the 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 commonality there is you got to believe you can win you got to believe that you're in it for a good cause that you're prepared that you that you're ready and that you can keep learning even while you're winning and i think that's a huge lesson as well is um, there's always more to learn. Uh, there's always a humanity to it, but there's also a sense of, I am so charged. I'm so ready. Uh, let me do what I'm trained to do. Like this, this kind of yeah. uh, base kind of uh, ground. Yeah, and, and nobody wants to be um, a reserve. Nobody wants to be sitting on the bench. You all want to be playing. Yeah. And, that was our, and that was our attitude. You want to be over there amongst it. And and you're right, and you've got to keep learning. You can never ever think you're you're the, the king of the hill. You can never think you're at the apex, and nobody can actually reach where you are. And that's what I suppose the, the great champions in sport and, and a lot of the elite operators that I work with they had that attitude. They just want to keep getting better. I mean, we trained every day over there. You know, the guys are either always in the gym or we were doing tactical training. Even though we were on operations, we were still going every day. We we're still, you know, we we're doing medical training. We, we were. You know, we, we were, you know, we we're, were doing cannulation training, you know, once a week, you know, like proper live cannulating each other and that over there. And that's what we were doing. You know, you had to do it to survive because if something happened, you had to be able to jump into the moment's notice and and switch in, you know, switch on and switch into gear and, and you know, get everybody home safely. And that's what it was all about. So, yeah, that's very, I th- very. Uh, I think that's very, a huge, that in itself is a huge leadership leadership lesson. Um and it's good for every one of us, whether no matter what role in what organization you play, if you're a solopreneur, if you're a machinist, if you're at the top of the ladder as the leader and owner, um, that yes, there's a state of readiness. Yes, there's a state of goodness, good enoughness or greatness, um, and that you're training every day. You're not, you're not just taking it for granted. You are yeah. in it. You're training every day. You're you're sharpening what you have you're getting sharper and um 
that's, you know, that's something that a lot of times people will either let go of or take for granted. It's like, well, just get busy doing the work. Well, part of the work is actually to learn. Part yeah. of the work is to train. Part of the work is to get better than just the work you were doing yesterday. Yeah, that's it. It's um, it's it's a daily process, and as even like myself going back to university at, at forty eight years of age, you're you're constantly learning. You're, tr- you're trying to you're trying to get better in life. Um, before it gets too late, before you can't you know, physically or mentally, you know, get any better. Um, when that point arrives, you, you want to be you know always forging forward. And I know we're not we're not all the same. Like I said before, we're not all built to to really push ourselves to the limit. Um, we're all a little bit different. But I think it's just about as an individual finding out what you what you're good at and, and really giving yourself the best opportunity to to really thrive in, in any environment. Like I said, it doesn't matter whether you're a whether you're building houses or you're in a sports team or you're in the military or whatever you want to do, but um just trying to be the best version of yourself, I suppose. Yep. Yeah, it's the uh it's been called the zone of genius. What is your zone of genius? And then you gather other people around you that have different zones of genius. And now you've got a team where you are going to be on fire because you've got people who know certain things uh, and everybody knows a little something different, which is which is very powerful. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. It's interesting, Mark. I actually I want to take you back to uh, to how you grew up. Um, I had somebody on from Australia not that long ago. Uh, they were in the finance arena and he was talking about surfing and how you sort of get used to pattern recognition that, you know, you get beaten up enough on a board that while you're sitting out waiting for the next wave, uh, especially in Australia where the waves are sort of a little bit bigger than we're used to out here in, uh, (laughs) in the United States, uh, and you're you're waiting for the waves, and you can start to predict them. And it's about pattern recognition, and then it's about going towards them so that they can carry you. Mm. And did you did you feel like that kind of experience served you as you entered the military and as you actually carried out some missions in Iraq? Yeah, I think with the ocean, I mean, you're going to have two types of, of surfers. You're going to have your recreational surfers that just go down once once a week maybe or maybe a couple of times a week. Um, they start surfing maybe a bit later when they're in this sort of teenage years. Then you're going to have your, your, your people that start when they're young, when they're really young kids. And I can't even really remember learning to surf, to be honest. I was with my, my father. My father was a uh, 
he, he was, you know, same as me, he was born in the water, so to speak. He was a great swimmer. Um, we were always in the ocean together, me and my dad. So I learned a lot of a lot of tricks off him, little tips with the ocean about how it all works with currents and rips and tides and and it becomes really second nature. It's like walking. It's, for me, surfing's like walking. It's like riding a bike. It, it's it's actually becomes you know very easy, you know, and especially when you're, you're competing at a, at a high level, you're competing against other good surfers. You're surfing with your friends that are good surfers every day. And yeah, it becomes really one with you as the ocean, and you really. Where some people would totally fear the ocean, for us, you're at home, and the and the bigger the better. That's what you want. You want the big days, and then you want to go from surfing on sand to surfing over reef, and you know surfing overseas as well. Like we've not, we're very very lucky in Australia to have amazing surf. But we've yes. got Indonesia. We've got Indonesia at a stone's throw from us as well, and that's another level again. So you're over there surfing the best waves on the planet. Um, that are you know incredibly dangerous, but you become so good at it and so comfortable with it, you know, and, and you're, you're you're fit, and it's it's just an amazing experience, you know, to, to be part of that. And yeah, I think of I think that you know, the advantage I had going into the military, maybe on other soldiers, I'd already had that mindset there of 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 the physicality of it, of course, and just that real mindset of, of surfing, you know, every day and, and the competing, and um, and I I think I went there thinking that I was maybe going to be one of the un, the more unfit people there because I wasn't doing much running and things like that but I soon realized when I joined the army that I was actually I was fitter than most of the, uh, the people around me uh, just from that natural core background of that upper body strength and the you know, pull-ups and push-ups and that sort of stuff I found quite easy because it was years and years and years of conditioning yes and and there's something even to this day that I've just retained it's like a muscle memory that I've retained you know so it's um yeah it's a but it definitely had a, a big impact and 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 like I said learning from my father who was a great great man and uh, and of course, uh, with my dad's side, my dad's indigenous on his side of the family. Mm. So um, and and the actual our, our tribal um, people they're called Garingai and they're called saltwater people. So that's all they all grew up on the ocean that that that, that tribe as well. So and that's a, a very big part of our our background as well. So. It's so important to honor. You know, it's like uh, I I grew up in Southern California and the ocean was my friend. I never learned to surf. Um, but wow, it, it always felt like the ocean was talking to me, you know, like it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just there. And then, you know, you, you grow up and, and you've got a tribal connection and I just think that's so special. And it was, by the way, one of the first smiles I got out of you was talking about surfing. So that's yeah. awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, talk a little bit. We'll jump forward now to what you're doing in terms of coaching and, and consulting and that kind of stuff. Um, you've got a masterclass out there that people can access. Um, what, what else, you know, when you do consulting, what should people know? What do you want to uh, convey about kind of the work that you do? And, um, you know, we've talked about some of the leadership lessons. What else, what else is, is missing from our conversation? Oh, look, I think that uh, it's one of those funny things with, with, with I think people like myself with my background, uh, people can be a bit hesitant sometimes. They're wondering what they're getting. They're getting some sort of person who's going to come in there and embark orders at them. And uh, and I'm the total opposite. I'm not that person. I think in the specialist units, we're not like that. That's not accepted. Those sort of people don't, they just don't get in. You know, not many people get into these units. And and I think if you're one of those sort of people, you're not going to fit. You've got to have the right attitude, the right personality. You've got to be a, a real fit, part of that mould. 
And I think I really bring that as well into business. And once they they meet you and understand what sort of person you are, then it becomes, I think, a little bit infectious because you are different. You have a different attitude and a different mindset. And uh, it, it's just uh, it's just something I think that's it's probably a bit of a skill I've got. Um, I've, I've learned over the years through through working with many different types of people. And, and I think that, that that real skill of mine is that I can really resonate with people. Um, if I can't resonate with somebody, then I think that person's almost impossible to 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 be able to crack through a tough shell. You know, I've, I've come across very very few that I can't resonate with, and it, it's it's um, and I think that's where my skill lies. You know, I'm busy doing other things. I'm I'm like I said I've got that masterclass on my on my website, and I'm doing um, a few. Starting to do a lot more talks now. I'm starting to do some uh, online and uh, actually in-person masterclasses for a couple of organisations in Australia, uh, talking to um, execs, generally, generally the exec level and above, um, you know, just with with leadership and a bit of crisis awareness with their business, which I absolutely love that, that environment of talking to to groups. And uh, and, and I'm, I'm writing for a... Uh, a magazine once a month now, which is like a it's a it's a magazine. It's called Industry Expert, and it's a magazine that's online, and that's uh, doing very very well. And I was invited to come and do their their leadership um, sort of writing part of the of the magazine through a lovely lady named Mary Henderson invited me in, which I've I've absolutely loved doing that. To be honest, uh, it was something I was a bit terrified about at first. You know, are people going to like what I'm actually you know, writing. Um, but she gave me that, that all that confidence to, to, to run with it, and she lets me have a real open leash with that. So that's that's which was great. And uh, yeah, so I've, I've got a lot going on. Um, sort of planning on doing it a bit more, probably a few more um, talks this year as well uh, with with the business. Like I said, a bit more sort of keynote arena sort of thing. Maybe some uh, master classes as well. So it's going to be a, a busy time, which is which is always good. You want to be busy because we've had that period over the last few years with COVID where everything went. South, you know, nobody was going into businesses, and I love, I love nothing more than one-on-one or the, the, the at least even that, just that human-to-human interaction. For me, nothing beats going in there. That's where my skill lies, where I can go in there and I can talk to people live, and I can use all my years of experience to really, to really, you know, find out who they are. Um, so. I'm with you on that. I'm totally get it. I'm with you on that. And and uh, yeah, we, you know, the good that came out of the pandemic i think the good that came out of it is that it allowed us to really reassess our values what do we really care about and then once we start returning to work once we start start returning to the workplace um how do we build those values back in so that it's not uh there is no reluctance to go back into the workplace like the values of freedom, the values of flexibility. Who said nine to five was the way to do it? You know, um, that was a 1938 imposition. Yeah, and now and now we've that's right. Now we've found that the whole hybrid working and remote working, and it's now yeah you know, a lot of places are now advertising online that they're like. Yeah, we're happy to have you come into the office for two days and we're three days at home or even even work at home almost, almost permanently. So there's all different avenues now that we never even would have contemplated years ago. You would have, we would have laughed at that. Um, right. and, and now it's it's, it's changed the, the the scope or the you know the landscape of that professional arena now forever. Isn't that great? Um, it's, yeah, I mean, I'll, some for for those of us that are consulting, it's like that's great, and for those running organizations, it's like, well, what do we do? I know, I know, I know, <laughs> and and it, and it is a it is a bit of a paradox, isn't it? And but 
I, I think it's a great thing. It just gives people opportunity now. Um, right. Maybe somebody doesn't want to get every day. Maybe they don't want to get up every single morning early and go and get the bus or the train to work and go into the city and, you know, slog it out. They're more than, and they'll be more productive maybe being in in their home and and, and being in, you know, in the, the comfort of their own home where they can actually work better. So for some people, it's actually going to work better. It's going to be better for that business as well. And it's about the, the people that are in charge actually having that understanding, being a little bit more flexible. And the ones that actually that, that can adapt with that, those leaders, they're the ones that I think are going to prosper in the future. The ones that are just have the old-fashioned attitude of, no, nope, this is how it's going to be, well, they're, they're just going to go by the wayside eventually, aren't they? Yes. Yes. Because if you don't uh, adapt and evolve, you end up perishing. Um, talk a little bit about what people can expect if they, you know, if, when they take your masterclass. This, uh, it's a free download, right? I mean, it's yep. available. So, uh, and I'm going to just say where to find it. It's at, it's at markashbyconsulting.com slash masterclass. Uh, what can people expect when they, when they go there? Yeah, look, I just, it's around about a 12, I think it's around about a 12 minute masterclass. Uh, so it's not too long. And I just go over a lot of things that we've actually discussed today. A lot of it's over those, those important lessons that we learned. Uh, about getting the best out of ourselves and the team around you and understanding that you know when you're in a, a team environment it's it's a it's a collective and that you've got these brilliant individuals in your team and it's about you know empowering those people about letting those people become the best version of themselves and that really then is going to really help your business um you know in, in the long haul when you've got that, those teams working effectively and and, and you know that, that productivity it's about that I've got a uh, a little method in there it's called the diamond methodology and the diamond methodology is is purely about um removing that emotion like i spoke about before out of complex decision making um that allows allows our, our leaders to be more effective in, in what they do it's allowing them, allow them to be a bit more clear-headed to not be so you know stressed out and to take one decision at a time um and i've i've worked under that environment i've worked under you know that pressure environment that most people will never ever experience in their life where the, the pressure to get it right every single time and not just for yourself and the people around you, and it's, it's for the people you're out there on the ground with every day. And you've got to be that 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 role model for those people as well to, to get them home safely. And sometimes I say to leaders, you've got nothing to worry about. You've got nothing to stress about. You know, you, you really are, you, you're making this up in your own head and, and you're compounding it because, you know, no one's going to, to die tomorrow. No one's going to get blown up or shot tomorrow. And you've just got to work out a way that you can actually make that best decision to sort of keep, keep you know, keep progressing forward. And uh, so, yeah, so it's it's, it's a very um, easy and and I and I think what I love, Wayne, my favourite thing is that I do in the world is I love, you know, having something complex and then converting it into something simple. That's that's my skill um, because we we don't we always assume or people always assume that because you can. Exp- you know, you're explaining uh, anything to another human being that they are going to understand it first time. But that's not always the case. And I've always found the simplest approach um, is, is the best approach. And I found that at a super high level, the higher I got working with these incredible leaders, the more simplistic they became because they they identified and they understood that you've got to get the message across the first time and make it stick the first time. And I was like, wow, this is, this is you know, so it's just getting rid of the complex and making it in layman's terms so that everybody gets it first time. It's um, I've heard that as described as the definition of genius. 
right? Being able to take the <laughs> complex and be able to make it simple so that it's it's received by all. It's so great. It's so great. What um, uh, what else were you hoping I would cover with you today? What did what could I have asked you? What would you like to share at this point? Um, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Look, look. It's 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 amazing. Every time you speak to somebody, especially when they find out about your background, because people either they either love it or they or they they, they maybe not love it, <laughs> dislike it. Yeah. Um, and and I find out more often than not that people really want to they really want to dive into what you've done, the nitty gritty of what you've done in operations, and and there's so many rabbit holes there. You know, I mean, my first uh, my first two years in Iraq, I was covert, so I was I was we were dressed like locals. We had big beards wearing local local arab dress and it was like being in a, a fancy dress party but it was for real it was real life every day and i was in this sort of reconnaissance teams over there um, we were actually making sure behind the scenes that the elections in iraq the first ever independent elections of iraq in the history of that country we were behind the scenes making sure those elections ran smoothly so the the us military of course they could not interfere with the elections over there so they they used us as a proxy they used us to, um, you know, con- conduct all these uh, meetings behind the scenes and ensure the safety of all the Iraqi election, you know, personnel. It was super dangerous. You know, Al Qaeda at the time they knew what we were doing and they were out there hunting for us with these election officials trying to find us. And it was a game of cowboys and Indians, basically cops and robbers. And but in the real world, in grown up, the grown up world where the consequences of being caught were catastrophic for us. You know, in, in in pure layman's terms, it was it was off with your head. That's that's the reality, and we all knew that. And we weren't working in big teams there of, of twenty or thirty men. Sometimes we'd have four of us working together. You know, there'd be, be two vehicles, two of us in each vehicle with a couple of local Iraqi lads that were fantastic guys that looked after us, our interpreters, and we we're all working covert in these super dangerous cities. And uh, it's it's a bit surreal now when I look back at it, what we were doing. Um, and, and like I said, the consequences of getting it wrong. And I worked in a city called uh, Bakuba, about 40 minutes out of Baghdad. And it was anyone who, who's been to Iraq knows how dangerous Bakuba was. It was one of the most dangerous cities over there. And it was, it was being at that level every day of the apex level every day, in, in, you know, to ensure your survivability. We all want to come home every afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to sit down there. Because this had never happened in history. You've never had, you know, if you want to call it Western-style contractors working for for a you know a, a foreign you know military and such a huge you know blueprint with these elections to get it right. And so we were, we were sort of writing our own histories. We're going along. We were learning and adapting because there was no real blueprint for it. And you know, we'd have meetings with the, with the US military over there. We'd have people from all different agencies and organisations. We'd have these big roundtable meetings there to discuss how we were going to make, the, make this successful. And they were like, so how are you guys going to do this? And we were like, don't you have any tips for us? Or And they were like, no, <laughs> you, got, you, guys, you, you guys are the experts. And we were like, we're not the experts. We're all learning here together. And this is 2004 um, when it was all kicking off. And and so, but we we learned as we went along each day, we were like, right, we did that wrong. So let's do this another way the next day. Let's not go out every day. Let's let's go out different times of the day, you know, different days of the week. Let's 
change our dress, uh, ch- change the appearance of our vehicles, our, our you know our registration plates, our tag plates, all those sort of things we had to do every day to ensure that survivability. And we became so good at it after that couple of years, you know, like because um, you you have to you have to become you know brilliant at what you're doing in order to survive. So. But there, there are a lot of the, the rabbit holes that you can go down with with what we did over there, and it, it just goes on forever because there was just, like I said, over over one thousand six hundred missions. It was just, uh, yeah, it was just mind blowing. It is mind blowing. So when's your book coming out? Because that would be a fascinating <laughs> read. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get, I've been asked a lot about a book. Um, I've got a couple of organisations that, that want me to do a book. Yeah, and I, I think with 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 us with us, and, and I'll say us guys. Um, you know, the, the girls didn't sort of come into that picture until a bit later on in, in, in the actual, um, you know, the years later. So early on, it was just pure male and dominated environments. And a lot of the boys have done books, but the the guys are, they're very judgmental in our own, our own area, our own little world. So, of course, you want people outside of our world to like the book, but it's that inner circle. They're the ones that are your worst critics. So you've got to make sure you do it right. You've got to get it right. Um, what's really telling a story i mean it's it draws on your expertise it's taking what's complex and not understood because it is covert it is it it is not something that is out there for everybody and making it um making it accessible and that's incredible like that would be uh, you know, I just you said something that would be a great title. You know, the consequences of getting it wrong. It's like, wow, what a, <laughs> that would be. A, <laughs> that would be an amazing title. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, really good, Mark. This is this is really good. Um, wow. Anything else that that you'd like to share? Um, oh, look, it's, it's just so I, I work on a on a international scale, uh, so I'm not just in Australia. Obviously, with everything these days being online, we can. We can talk to somebody like they're there next door to us, you know, whether in the States or in Europe or in Asia, doesn't matter where you are now. Right. Um, and and they can they can uh, email me directly at uh at mark at markashbyconsulting.com. Um nice and easy to reach. And uh and, and I'm more than happy and, and would love to have a conversation with anybody that wants to wants to give me a call. Awesome. I will have that in the show notes. So we've got we've got markashbyconsulting.com slash masterclass, and we've got mark at markashbyconsulting.com so that's easy it. ways to get you very good thank you i feel like you know i keep asking is there anything more uh and, and honestly i feel like i could keep asking you and just sort of like share a beer with you and ask yeah. you about you know what happened <laughs> what about this um I, I just want to make sure that you've got you know the leadership stuff out there the master class stuff out there and that the idea that you do consult and you consult internationally, you're available. So yeah, yeah, absolutely brilliant. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you for, for being with me on one sharp sword, Mark Ashby. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Wayne. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate you being here. This is one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most. My guest today, Mark Ashby, uh, leadership expert, and um, wow, so much more. I'm Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Exponential Success Coach. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you here again next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell 
the Breakthrough Success Coach and your Powerful Presence Mentor.